It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. It's our eponymous episode, where we're literally shooting the breeze on what's happening in women's hoops, and there's a lot. First up, some big improvements in communications from the WNBL, including pre-season and season dates, engagement stats, and free agency trackers that point to a big season ahead, as well as a lot of big ownership movements that we hope pay long-term dividends for growth in our sport. We're talking free agency updates as well. Just after we tape this episode, some hot off the press signings included Jesse Edwards re-signing with the Perth Lynx, Bunce returning to the Caps for two more seasons, and Michaela Roof is back again with Coach Seabohm at Townsville Fire. Of course, the huge event hurdling towards us is the FIBA Women's World Cup, with just over 100 days until we witness this spectacle. We've got final groups locked in after tumultuous political events. After we taped this episode, they launched the Women's World Cup Schools Program, offering resources to teachers in Term 3, as well as discounts for excursions, so that school kids can enjoy the world's best women's hoops. We're going to have links available on the episode notes. Enjoy this pod. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me today, it's my co-host Jacinta Gavin. Jacinta, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, Paul. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. It's been an interesting week. There's been a whole lot of stuff going on, both here in Australia and overseas. So let's get into some of this stuff because I think it's really interesting. There's a lot of information coming out of the WNBL, which is great to see. First of all, they released the key dates and the structure for the upcoming season very early, which was fantastic. And even though things have gone quiet, well, last week or so, information about free agency has been rolling out as well. So let's start off talking about that. How did you feel the fact that they've released the key dates so early? Well, without sounding too pessimistic or cynical, I saw the rollout of the dates, key dates and structure, and I thought, it's not April Fool's Day, is it? It's June because I was like, it was just such a surprise that I was like, is this like for real? Are they actually rolling it out so early? And then, yeah, delighted surprise that the WNBL, yeah, have brought out the key dates and structure so early, um, including the start of preseason, which is an interesting um, inclusion in their key dates. I'm not too sure if that's going to reflect like a mandatory starting date for preseasons for all of the clubs to try and bring some uniform and some professionalism to the league where the key dates are for everyone and everyone needs to abide by them. Um, I actually hope it is. I hope it is too, yeah. 
So I was really happy that it came out, really surprised. Hopefully it's setting the tone for a more professional season compared to the last couple. It's professional in a sense where we're going to have more transparency, clearer communication from the administration and hopefully to service the fans to make sure that we're informed a lot earlier than we have been. Yeah, and I think it's probably been triggered by the fact that it's capitalising on the World Cup. You know, so we kind of roll into the World Cup, World Cup finishes, and we know straight away when the next season's starting. So it gives people an opportunity to go, oh, okay, so we know the pre-season starts here and the regular season starts on this date. People can start to organise themselves, particularly if there's people who don't necessarily follow the WNBL, but they've been to the World Cup, they've liked what they've seen, and they want to see the local competition. Yeah, interesting you made that correlation between the two because the World Cup starts on the 22nd of September and according to the WNBL season key dates and structure, pre-season starts on the 21st of September. So they're both starting on the same week. Yeah, so the question will be, is that going to be somehow tied in with the World Cup so that there's events happening around the country tying in with the World Cup? Mm. perfect opportunity to cross-promote. Perfect. Absolutely. So, yeah, hopefully. So that's a really good point that you made uh, note of those dates because, yeah, I'm hoping that there will be some big cross-promotion there. I'm glad that, look, if for nothing else, it's also good from the point of view of sponsors. They now know these are the dates. This is when we're going. Broadcast can organise themselves because traditionally it's always been there's been a wait until the NBL puts their calendar out before they start scheduling. So I think the fact that the WNBL has taken a forward step on this is a good sign. Okay, this is when our season's going to be. Our broadcast partners know when the season's going to be. I mean, the fact that you know ESPN has recently been announced as being the broadcast partner for all the national games is great. So there's a lot of focus on what's happening with women's basketball. And, you know, I mean, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but also recently they've announced that there's a new commercial partner, and we'll talk about that shortly. But all of this this structural change and the fact that they're getting the information out, it kind of leads back to when we were talking to the head of the WNBL, Christy Collier-Hill, and she was saying that this is something that we've got to do better, that we've got to improve on. and you know what? I'm seeing it happen. Yeah, that was actually what I was going to mention before, how we did talk to Christy about those points, how we raised a lot of the concerns. Um, You know, we feel like on behalf of a lot of the WNBL fans, I think it's safe to say that we're a good representation of WNBL fans. We've spoken to a lot of our peers online and otherwise about some of the concerns we have with the league and we shared those concerns. So we brought it to her at the podcast and one of them being more transparent communication. Transparency in a sense of being honest with, you know, what's happening with the league and transparency in a sense of providing fans with enough information ahead of time to prepare ourselves. Yeah, it's a great start and it shows that, you know, Christy's actually delivering on what she was saying she wanted to deliver on. And that makes me feel really confident about what's going to happen as we keep moving forward. You know, now, on the downside, free agency's been awfully quiet. Oh, man, like, 
<laughs> and I G'd it up in one of our previous episodes with Vanessa Panousis. We were talking about free agency, predicted signings. I was getting so excited because it's my favourite time of year. And then it's just been crickets. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like, what's, what's going on? And, you know, credit again to WNBL because they have set up a free agency tracker, um, which I love, which you can find on their website. It's just, you know, headlined as 2022 player movements, not yep. technically free agency, but it's same, same. And it is up to date. And then I'm like, right, let's have a look at this list. Who have I missed? Uh, not much. Not much, Paul. Yeah, I know. I know. It's Look, you almost get the feeling that everybody's agent has taken a holiday. Yeah, or they're sitting on a secret or they're waiting on something unknown like that we don't know about. Like are they waiting for, I don't know, maybe the the increase in salary for the AFLW players may have impacted some talks between agents and athletes because yep. that's one of my big concerns. All for AFLW doing what they're doing in their very short conception. You know, they've only been around five years. I've already made so many significant gains of promoting their sport and women's sport in terms of broadcasting, media, marketing, and now a huge increase in salary. Yep. But me, my initial thought was, oh, this is going to impact the WNBL for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, there are players that we've lost to AFLW. There are players who are playing both. And, you know, they're going to start questioning which way they want to jump based off the increase in the salary. And the other thing that I think that's really interesting that goes along with it is it puts a lot more pressure on the WNBL to try and find a way to be able to increase player payments. Now, I don't think players are going to expect we're going to get to AFLW range straight away. No. But if they can see that there's positive steps in that direction, then I think that's a good thing because, and as we've said this before, the one thing that basketball provides that AFLW doesn't is the ability to have national representation at tournaments like the World Cup, like the Olympics. So that will factor into some people's decisions so long as they can see that those player payments are moving in the right direction. Because let's face it, they've got a short period of time to be able to earn as athletes. Yeah, and that's a really good point. The pathways that basketball provide are very different to AFLW, but I was speaking to a current WNBL athlete online about this same situation and their concerns is that they're at a point of their career where they've been playing for a while. It's pretty evident that they're not considered for that pathway through basketball of being in an emerging Opal squad or an Opal squad. Like WNBL is probably their ceiling for their career right now. Right. Um, and they're at the point in their career where they've played for a while. Playing for Australia doesn't look like it's it's going to be an option for them. So they're like, well, do I just go and change codes and make some extra money while my body is still capable of performing? And, and look, that's a fair question. Mm. You know I mean, and we, we talked about this in the last episode, the number of potential Opals that, you know, came to the fore just from the Japan-Australia series, there's a lot of players waiting in the wings. So for some players who are, you know, in the WNBL and may not make national roster, that's a fair question. Do they jump to AFLW? And that's why I think it's really critical for the WNBL to be able to try and get more commercial sponsors on board 
because once you've got a few on board, others will follow. Then hopefully that will assist teams to have enough financial stability so that when the league does say, okay, we've got to raise the player payments to keep players in the league, that it's not going to put teams under stress. Yeah, totally. That's the other thing, the other risk. We don't want to expand too early or, yeah, provide too high a player salary too early that's going to be unsustainable and we see collapses of clubs you know how many WNBL clubs in its 40-year history have come and gone very very quickly you know what I was looking at that number a while back and you know I'm trusting my memory here but I think there was something like about there's like 18 teams that have appeared in the league and disappeared over that period of time yeah, um, and I, th- I think, my, you know, there would be some clubs who started the WNBL 40 years ago, like Nana Wadding, and then perhaps either, you know, amalgamated with other clubs to perhaps form bigger clubs or, you know, then there was Dandenong that kind of stood for a long time and rebranded. But the clubs are, for me, that come to mind in recent history is like Christchurch and Logan. Yeah. Um, and Brisbane. Brisbane used to have a WNBL team once upon a time as well. Southeast Queensland. Oh, the SEQ stars, didn't they have one whole season? Yeah. Yep. And it's that it's that financial stability that, that the league's got to assist the teams with. And, and I think they're taking all the right steps. Mm. And, you know, again, you know, there's been information that came out about the growth of audience engagement. So, you know, increase in digital broadcast, highest ever finals audience, media you know, I mean, the number I'm se- I've, I've seen is a 500% increase in articles. Now, that's a good thing. But the truth is, the base that it started off from was pretty low. So 500% uh, looks good. It needs to continue. Mm. And I think the other thing is there's a real need to have to have a solid engagement with new media, mm. you know, not just not just the news corps of the world, because it's new media that's going to be able to get out to other audiences because the the big media players really, if the eyeballs aren't there, they're not going to keep up the attention. And the advantages we have as new media, which I really love and appreciate, is that we have full creative control of the content that we produce and what we focus on and what we share with um, other fans of the WNBL and Australian women's basketball where, you know, when you get into your more corporate and more formal forms of media, there always seems to be, there always, not seems to be, but there always is an ulterior motive to what they're writing and why they're writing it. And it's all, you know, backed by sponsors and stuff, which is a whole other conversation. But, I mean, the freedom and flexibility that comes with new media is something that I hope the fans appreciate and find a little bit more accessible or refreshing. Like you said, the mainstream media, I mean, let's not, you know, I mean, it's great that they are engaging with the WNBL and women's basketball, but is it going to be sustained or if something else comes up or if another another women's sport is making more inroads, are they going to shift? And hopefully they don't. But, you know, I mean, look, 500%, that's a great increase. We want to see this sort of increase in, in engagement continue year on year because that's a sign that we're attracting more people. As soon as we start seeing plateaus, that's kind of like, okay, the audience has gotten to a point and they've stopped. What do we do next? Yeah, that's right. I don't think we can answer that just yet though, can we? We just have to sit and wait and watch. 
Well, we can always take a stab at it. <laughs> you know. But the other cool thing is that, um, you know, talking about transparency and all these new plans coming up for the WNBL, you know, the key dates coming out, free agency trackers up, the growth in digital audience and broadcast and things like that. The thing that I like uh, about this information being shared is that it's also paired with articles on the website so it's accessible for everyone. Yep. It's good that we're getting that kind of growth. It's good that the WNBL is also keeping up a great amount of content coming out on the website. I mean, up until this year, it's like the season would be finished. You'd see a free agency tracker go up and then it would be silence until the next season started. This time, we're continuing to see stuff stuff come out. Now, to be fair, there's been a lot going on. I mean, you know, the Flames Kings have got new investment from the Denham family. SEN have taken the Bendigo Spirit license and there's new owners for Adelaide uh, in the Polygra group. So, you know, look, some people would say, is that really a good thing because there's a continued turnover in ownership? I'm looking at it from the point of view of you got people here who have a pretty good idea of what they're doing and they're investing in the WNBL. Um, yeah. Yeah, like SEN's invested in basketball in New Zealand and also in West Australia. Polygra Group's got investments in, I think it's baseball in South Australia as well. So it's got this feeling like there's a bit more stability coming into club ownership. And the other thing is this, we're seeing similar trends overseas as well. I think I read somewhere how Gatorade is pulling sponsorship from men's hockey and putting it into women's sport now. Wow. I hadn't heard that, but that's that's great news. Um, yeah. If I put on a business hat for a second, going into women's sports is actually really smart because your entry cost is significantly lower than for men's sports. Yet, as we know from when we talked to True North Research, the engagement that women's teams get and the loyalty from fans is significantly higher than it is for men's sports. And that is actually, in terms of return on investment for dollars spent on in women's sports, makes it a far more attractive proposition from a commercial point of view. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a good reflection on that episode with, with True North as well about sponsoring women's sport because, yeah, that was a real uh, feed for the brain, that episode, I feel like. I feel like I learned a lot in that. And in the meantime, I've just pulled up uh, a short statement about the Gatorade um, sponsorship thing I just mentioned. So they have concluded its future in sports sponsorship lay in less visible areas such as women's sport and college athletics. Okay. So now that the NCAA has allowed student athletes to receive money for sponsorship, which has been an ongoing thing with the NCAA athletes in terms of getting payments and things like that past college scholarship, um, it looks like Gatorade is heading in women's sports and college athletes instead. And you know what? I think it's going to be a lot more people, you know, wanting to use the product because of it. Mm. Should we shift to free agency? We've mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah. Even though it's been quiet, but just to recap, we've got uh, Talia Toupay from the Caps staying at the Caps. We've got Brittany Smart this as well from the Caps staying at the Caps. A couple of movements which are great for the athlete, but disappointing we won't get to see them in our local league is uh, Ezzy. Magbergers going to Europe. Yep. Which is great. I think it's 
you know, is he someone who I admire as a player, but it's her maturity in terms of decision-making with her career that I really admire the most. She's someone who's obviously, you know, an emerging talent, identified as a future Opal at a young age. I feel like she hasn't rushed her career. She's still young. Like, I still forget that she's only, like, 21, right? Yeah. She's already played in the WNBA a bunch of years. She didn't go – I don't think she – she didn't go to college. She stayed – she stayed yeah. home for a little while. She went to the WNBA when she's ready, and now she's ready to take that leap and explore Europe as well. And she's been playing awesome in the <sighs> WNBA. Yeah. She came back with like a 21-point game after being out with COVID. Or I know. I should probably say with health and safety protocols. I can't yep. confirm it was COVID. It was health and safety protocols. But she's balling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the numbers she's been posting all season – it's almost like she's gone from the WNBL, gone to the WNBA, ratcheted up the game by 100%, and the numbers she's putting in are just fantastic. The way she's been playing, and, you know, it, it's a supremely tough league, and in some of the games that she's been in, she's just been playing with a lot of maturity. Some of the highlight clips I've seen, you just look at the way she's playing and you know this is somebody who's really thinking about how they get. She's developed that basketball IQ that normally comes after a few more years. She's developed it a lot earlier. She's going to be a really dangerous player for a lot of years to come. Yeah, yeah, for sure. She, Yeah, like she's been around and she's been so important and dominant already in our Opals program and especially in the WNBL, so you forget that she's still only 21. Yeah. Um, but with her, Lindsay Allen, also from the championship-winning Melbourne Boomers, yep. uh, and I think finals MVP, is she's also going to be playing in Europe. So soon after Lindsay Allen left our shores to go back to the WNBA, she was uh, went back into camp with Indiana Fever but was unfortunately waived. So she wasn't suiting up for WNBA, but she will be playing in Europe instead of coming back to the WNBL. Then Sydney have been both, you know, Hoops hoops Capital, Flames and Kings have wasted no time re-signing a lot of their players That's in both true. camps. Yep. Um, and for Sydney Flames, you know, Shyla and Kira Rowe were already contracted and they very quickly re-signed Keely Froling and Kalani Purcell. So in the yep. meantime, though, they've added Emma Clark. From Perth Lynx, yep. she's going to be making the trip over to the East Coast. And also Tiana Magnakaya, who was playing, you know, for Syracuse in college. Then she was playing, She, I think she played uh, NBL 1 North for a short time last season before going to play for Dynamo Moscow in Russia and yep. having to come home very quickly after that, considering the political circumstances. Yes. But yeah, she's signed to Sydney Uni Flames too. Yeah, it's there's been a lot of movement here for Sydney. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of fill in for some of the other players. We've said it before, there's a few players we're just curious to know whether they're going to come back or whether they're going to other teams. But Sydney's been rebuilding a lot. And I think they've got a vision. I'd have to guess and say that their vision in, would ideally involve picking up both championships in the one year. Yeah. Yeah, imagine. Imagine if that happened. That would be huge. Absolutely. And I'm sure I'm sure it's something that they've got an eye on, you know. I wouldn't doubt that at all. Yeah, and I imagine the the Flames are going to be really interesting because they still have the core of, you know, Heel, Froling, Purcell, Rowe, and now adding, you know, Tiana and Emma Clark is 
great additions. They still definitely need a proper centre, so I'm guessing they'll sign an import for their centre. When I say proper, I mean a a dominant five men. But, yeah, then we've got people like, you know, we've talked about Funda Nakasoglu before, where she going to end up. There was some hypothesizing online that she might go to a team like Melbourne Boomers. Yep. Um, wouldn't mind seeing her in Melbourne Boomers. I think she's originally Victorian anyway. So she is. She might want to go back home for a little bit. Yep. Um, but, yeah, we're also hypothesizing online CG23, Kelsey Griffin, following Coach Kennedy to... Bendigo. That would be an interesting move. It mm, really would. Back to Bendigo, where it all yeah. started. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, this is where everything that's been moving around in relationship to new owners and all the coaching changes, I actually think a lot of what's slowed down free agency is everybody was waiting to see how everything was going to wash out, and the coaches are looking at, who have I still got contracted in for this season? And how do I build the team that I want around what I've got to work with? And the other thing we've got to um, think about as well is that there's a whole bunch of really quality college players who have just graduated and are back home. So you've got Mila Goodchild who spent, you know, three, four years at Duke. She's playing NBL1 at the moment for Mackay in NBL1 North. Yep. She was actually just part of the 3x3 Australian squad getting prepared for the Birmingham Com Games. Yeah, that's um, true. We've also got Chloe Bibby back home. So she had a stint with the Dallas Wings very recently after she graduated from Maryland mm. um, and she signed to Kilsyth. So you'd be silly not to go and chase them as contracted players. Yeah, that's the whole point. There's a whole lot of depth that's coming back into the country from the college system. We've also got coaches who are going to be bringing a different point of view to things. And so it's like a great big chess game at the moment. Mm. But you can't see how it's all gonna gonna play out. Mm. Um, a lot of changes happening with the coaches. One of the big ones is with Chris going to Melbourne. What's going to happen with? Because he seems to get a lot of loyalty from players. How many players are going to follow him to Melbourne? Yeah, and considering Melbourne have already got the likes of Tess Magin and Kayla George and Panina Davidson already contracted, it would be pretty attractive if you are a player who likes Chris Lucas as a coach and you're going in to play with two Opals and yeah. a New Zealand national player. That's pretty That's pretty attractive to go follow him. Yeah, and they're coming off the back of a, a championship, so... Yeah, you know, of course. Core, so it's you know, and obviously Melbourne's got a good system going there. Yeah, definitely. But actually, you know what I've just realised, based on the player tracker um, on the WNBL website, they've missed the most exciting signing for me was Amy Atwell signing with Perth. Isn't that up yet? No. Okay. That is like. I mean, I'm not sure if it counts as free agency because, but I mean, they've included Tiana, so surely they can include. Amy Atwell coming to Perth, like that's mega. That is like she's had an incredible college career. Yes. She's worked her way up to now playing in the WNBA, um, maintained a contract so far with LA Sparks, and she's now coming home playing for the Perth Lynx. That's such a big signing for Perth. Huge. You know, it's uh, you got to say that Perth is starting to look pretty strong for next season. They were strong for this season. They've kept Ryan Petrick as head coach. So there's a level of stability in Perth that isn't really at all the other teams. 
you know. So I reckon Perth's got a, a real a real good chance. Um, yeah, and if they're able to get at least one of their imports back, yeah, and I wouldn't that'd be, be very handy. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they managed to get one of their imports back. Now let's kind of move to overseas, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of impacts us here, and that is Nigeria. They're out. They're out of the World Cup. Ah, yeah. Wasn't that a bit of a shock? Yeah, it was a huge shock. And it's because of politics. It's not because of the players or the team or anything there. It's just internal politics. And they've been replaced by Mali. Yeah, pretty sure FIBA released the revised pools for the uh, FIBA Women's World Cup in September now that Mali have been added to Group B, which is the same pool as Australia. And Puerto Rico has been added to Pool A, which is to replace Russia. They will, should be the final standings for the World Cup, right? Yeah, you got to hope that it's not nothing else is going to change. But for me, and this is the thing that I felt was really disappointing: is what happened to Nigeria is just completely out of the players' control. You know, look, all power to Mali, but I would have really liked to have seen Nigeria play in this competition. Now, it's looking like. They're going to be out of international competition for at least two years. Mm, with the threat and, of a longer ban from FIBA. That's right. And you got to say, when you're talking about the people who are managing basketball or you know responsible for basketball in Nigeria, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, it seems like quite a complicated situation. So when the news broke, was it last week? Yeah, I'm going to say last week, week when the news broke about Nigeria... You know, obviously we're having to withdraw from the Women's World Cup, but the Men's World Cup is also in the process of qualifying tournaments and stuff this year for next year. But it also means that the Nigerian men's team is out of contention to qualify for the Men's World Cup next year as well with this two-year kind of withdrawal or or ban, so to speak. But yeah, we encourage some of our friends and fans uh, who have heard the news to try and do a little bit more digging online because the complexity of this issue runs a little bit deeper and there was um, a Twitter space hosted over the weekend with some of the um, local, I guess, broadcasters and media personalities who cover Nigerian basketball and perhaps some people in their administration over there um, about it and they're not happy, understandably. No, and and look, every every right. And just from what I've been able to see across social media, the fans of the team, the national teams, are furious because they can see it's just... This has got something to do with people who obviously don't really have the best interests of the sport in mind. Yeah, and I think in a nutshell it came down to there seems to be two conflicting federations in Nigeria that are governing basketball to some extent or at least having some conflict to governing basketball in some extent. So it sounds like the Federation of Sport and FIBA are at loggerheads with organising the sport. And interestingly, uh, one of our good friends of the podcast gave us a little bit of intel about Nigeria's basketball situation and they actually haven't had any local games for four years. So they're not even in the BAL, like the Basketball African League. COVID obviously impacted having no local games for four years as well. And a lot of the players playing for the international teams are American Nigerians. So there's a real disconnect between their pathways, it sounds like, from local leagues, local professional leagues, into their international teams, but it sounds like everything's just kind of been wiped away. That's that's crazy because there's been a lot of great players coming out of Africa, playing in Europe, playing in Australia, playing in 
the US. So if what they're doing is strangling the ability of up-and-coming players to come through, they're just bringing in people from, you know, like you said, from the US, you know, American Nigerians back to play, what the Federation is basically saying to Nigerians is, we're not interested in having you play for your country. Actually, we're not even interested in having you play. Yeah, which would be, I mean, I, I can't imagine how a lot of those professional local players would feel not being able to play for so long locally and then having your pathway taken away from you or basically being said it's not available to you. Sorry. Thanks for all your hard work on a local level, but it's not for you. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, there's, there's skilled players, right? Mm. You don't get to be in the Women's World Cup because you don't have high-caliber players. You got there, you qualified to get there, your players are world-class. And I've got to assume that for the men's team, they've got to be up there. So, what? yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of frustrating. And the other thing is that... um. Yeah, they, like I mentioned before, even though it's a proposed two years, they do risk being banned or withdrawn from international basketball for longer. Apparently, FIBA has issued that warning to Nigeria and their Federation of Sport. So hopefully things can be sorted out sooner rather than later. Yeah. I suppose the other thing that I want to just touch on is what do you think we're going to be able to see happening in the run-up to the World Cup? The one thing that I haven't really been able to, to dig up too much, and I'm hoping maybe you've heard something through the grapevine, is what other events are being planned or have you heard of any events being planned to try and, you know, beef up the awareness of the Women's World Cup as we get closer to it? I wish I had something to share, but at this point I, d- I don't, unfortunately. So <laughs> we had the, you know, we had the fever um, party a couple of weeks ago in Sydney where, the greats like Lauren Jackson and Michelle Timms and uh, Shirley Gorman attended and some of our current Opals attended as well. And that party was held just a couple of days before the friendly games against Japan. And then obviously we had Basketball New South Wales co-facilitated some of the talks as well about women's sport and keeping girls in basketball before a couple of those Opals games that we had in Sydney. Um, To be honest, I haven't heard anything else just yet. Hmm. Okay, well, we're going to have to uh, ask a few questions because, you know, it, we're getting close to the 100 days and, you know, any time now, it'd be a great time to start promoting what other support events are happening uh, around the Women's World Cup and also to try and drum up support for the Women's World Cup as it moves forward. And even like, I mean, typically maybe people are only told about this with too short notice but you know your media passes your official photographers I know a couple of people who have applied for media passes and photography passes and stuff like that who are kind of like oh I need to get the time off work I need to put in my annual leave I need to save money if I need to travel how long I'm going for etc so even things like that I'm hoping will be released pretty soon yeah because people do need to organize time And, and let's face it a large majority of the people that cover women's basketball, particularly here in Australia, don't do it full-time. No, no. So, no, so they've got to organise right. time off work. They've got to be able to travel to Sydney. They've got to find accommodation in Sydney. And it's going to be – it's during school holidays, which is great for the comp, but difficult for planning. Yeah, and it also means that accommodation is going to be more expensive. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that need to be organised and hopefully – 
you know, this will start to fall into place sooner rather than later. And we probably should, you know, reach out to the local organising committee to see, you know, what's actually happening with that. Yeah, definitely. And they know we're always up to helping them out with promoting or anything, really, just getting the word out there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, this has been a kind of a bit of a mishmash episode of a lot of different topics, but I think it's stuff that we really needed to talk about and just being able to put them all together in one show is good because there are a lot of short discussions. As always, it's great to have you on the show with me, Talking Hoops. Yeah, can't wait to talk to you next week and we'll get into some uh, other interesting subjects. For sure. And it sounds like we've got some pretty good content in the works. So We do. We, won't want, we don't want to give away too much already. We want to keep people uh, on their toes a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Jacinta, as always, look forward to speaking to you soon. Likewise. Thanks, Paul. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.